0: Um, we're going to carry on in Acts today, uh, if you've got a, a Bible, um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, we'll get there in a bit, it's going to be on the screen as well, so all good, um, but I want to start today with three little words um, for you, three little words from me to you, uh, and I know Valentine's Day recently, it isn't I love you, but I do, okay, and you love me too. That's fine. It's all nice. Um, It's not, I love you. They're three little words um, that if you watch Homeland, um, one of my favorite shows, you'll know very well. Um, Homeland, um, season one, great. Season two, brilliant. Been terrible ever since, but feel this sort of strange loyalty to it. So persist into season five, um, nine o'clock, channel four, Sunday evenings but go to the river tonight instead, okay? (laughs) On demand is a godsend. It's all good. But in Homeland, um, Homeland starts, every single episode starts with the same three words. And if you've watched any American TV that's been made in the last 15 years, it'll be a similar setup that they have in that show. What are the first three words of any episode of Homeland? Previously on Homeland. Good, very good. You can swap that in for 24, lost, you know, whatever. Previously on Homeland and they then show you 45 seconds of fast action clips to make you remember why it's worth watching it, and then season five is still rubbish, but you carry on. Previously on Homeland, and I think they do that for a few reasons. One is just because we're sort of in the Netflix binge generation, We've sort of, we can't remember from one episode to the next, and that's helpful. But also I think they've spotted something, which is this, that if you're going to get the most out of any single episode of a narrative, you have to know where it lands and you have to know what comes before it otherwise you're going to miss loads of the power the emotion the drama all of that jazz and that's why they start with previously on homeland and I think that's true in any story And I think that's very true in the bible you need to know where you're up to when you land in a particular point I think it's very true in Acts and I think it's really 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 true of it, this passage we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 4 because something happens in Acts chapter 4 that has never happened before in the history of the church until this moment. And it'll be something that you know quite a lot about, something you recognize, something that feels quite, even quite normal in your understanding of Christianity. But it has never, ever, ever happened until the start of Acts chapter 4. Admittedly, the history of the church hasn't been that long. If you say the church started at Pentecost, it's only been, you know, a page and a half. But in Acts chapter 4, something comes that you'll know about, but is completely new and a big bolt out the blue in the story. So you will only see that if we do a quick previously in Acts. So come with for just one minute of snapshot um, scenes from Acts. And someone helped me think about the star of Acts in a load of different P words. So whether that's your thing or not. It's mine, so we're doing it. So, loads of different P words that start off the book of Acts. First of all, you get a promise from Jesus. Now, you'll know the promise if you've watched the little video at any point this term. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you will, not you might, not if you give it a go, not crack on, try your best, but you will be my, help me out, witnesses, great. And where? In Jerusalem, Judea, look at this, and yeah, then everywhere else. Yeah, it would have been a long list if we'd kept going at that rate. But yeah, you will be my witnesses. You're going to start here. And when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you to wait. And then when the Holy Spirit comes to you, the church, the Spirit-soaked people of God will, they just will spill out into the world. That's a promise that you get. And then you turn over the page in Acts chapter 2, you get... Pentecost okay this is good promise Pentecost and at Pentecost the presence uh, of God comes to the church and now no longer do the church just sort of say we met a guy who was God honest now they have that God by his spirit living in them and as the Holy Spirit comes they get the presence of God and now in a very real sense that as they spill out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Birmingham and beyond now, in a very real sense, the presence of God spills out from Jerusalem, Judea, because they carry him in them. You get the promise, you get Pentecost, you get the presence, and then Peter, who beautifully begins with P, <laughs> Peter gets up and preaches, or, uh, or proclaims, or proselytizes, whichever you fancy. He gets up, and this wobbly coward of a few pages before, he's up on his feet preaching the good news, and thousands of people come to faith in one day. The sun has yet to set on day one of the church plant, and they've had a 2,000% growth rate, and they've run out of welcome cards. The host table has been absolutely swept of all its literature. Everyone's getting involved. It's flying. okay? And then just the week before Church Central One. we weren't here last week, were we? But the week before... You heard Johnny tell you about another P, power, the power of God now coming through the apostles to this guy who'd been crippled for so long, do you remember him? And he'd been left out of society because he he wouldn't have been able to work, he wouldn't have had any dignity, he'd have just been spat on, he'd have had to beg, it would have been so humiliating, and the power of God restores him, brings him not only his health, but it's dignity and all of that stuff it's this amazing thing and I understand if the breakthroughs page is even vaguely linking in with what's happened that it was then an astonishing thing where the power of God came in this room and people were healed and it's a brilliant thing so you have the promise you have Pentecost where the presence of God comes and then there's preaching and power And where we get to at the start of Acts chapter 4 is that the sun's about to set on another day and it's all going so well and they're all singing, tonight's going to be a good night and it's flying and it's brilliant. And then something happens that has never happened before. Uh, The church gets this visitor, this unwelcome visitor. And uh, his name begins with P as well. And he has come to the church in every generation and in every land ever since. And his name is Persecution. And he is horrible. He is horrible. And it's never happened before, and here it is in Acts chapter 4. It's going to come up on the screen. We're going to read the whole passage. It's going to take just a few minutes. And don't worry about getting every detail. All good. It's fine. But just watch what happens when this guy persecution turns up. It will come up on the screen, and we'll read along. So the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men and women and children are also very important, okay? believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, there's a little quote from the Old Testament, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. Let's keep going. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the man, get this, the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Right. <laughs> Why they put that in at the end? It feels like this sort of, perhaps Peter was 39 and was feeling insecure. Uh, poor, uh, Luke, whoever's writing it. Ah, move on, 40 years old. Right. It's nice to feel young in relation to something in the Bible. So all good. So there you have it, this visitor that comes up, persecution, And uh, what you might think that happens now is that I'm going to preach to you this uh, very heavy uh, sermon all about standing firm under persecution and enduring under opposition and how to do that. And I think, come on, that would be far too heavy. We don't want to do that, okay? So I've got a novel way for us to not have it heavy, okay? I'm going to present to you a bit of a rich pit masterclass in avoiding persecution, okay? I'm going to give you three surefire top tips to avoid persecution, to learn from where these silly guys, Peter and John, got it so wrong, why well, they ended up in jail and stuff like that. We're going to have a, a trouble-free Christianity presented to you by me. Um, sense my irony. It's important to sense the <laughs> <laughs> irony. I think South Site Meeting One didn't for a bit, and it was like, what is he doing? <laughs> no, no, don't, irony. Okay. Um, and after that, after the three top tips, I want to just land. It will just take a few seconds at the end. I want to land with what I'm boldly claiming is the secret to the whole Christian life. Okay, from this passage. So three, to- yeah, right, three top tips to avoid persecution, and then I'm going to land with the secret to the whole Christian life. So there's your motivation to listen. Okay, right, three surefire tips to avoid this thing called persecution. Now, the first error that Peter and John make, bless them if only they had our wisdom, uh, is in verses one and two. See if you can spot their mistake. Uh, Any people at school, uh, good on verbs. You know what verbs are? Doing words, yeah, we remember. What are the verbs in this sentence? They're a little clue, they're verbal verbs. Speaking, verse one. And why did the, the powers that be got so angsty in verse two? Because they were teaching and proclaiming they speak, they didn't just leave it at doing a nice thing, restoring this man to dignity and society, they didn't just leave it at blessing, they didn't just silly apostles, leave it at power, they spoke, and so look where it got them. So top tip number one, whatever you do, please don't speak about Jesus, okay? Take notes if you want to, there's more where this came from, just keep your head down, just be nice, and just don't say anything. Now, all jokes aside, that that is what I'm very tempted to do in life. And in lots of different situations, of course, it would be appropriate to do that in the short term, of course. So if you're working in a particular place, this is not a call to stand on your desk and you know read Leviticus out at length. This is not what I'm calling you to do. It's not what these guys are calling you to do. But what this is saying is if in general in your life, if you just want to avoid persecution, you just keep your head down and never say anything, and you'll be fine. But it's funny because Peter and John, as you see, have an awful lot more to lose than I have and an awful lot more to lose than you have, and yet they don't do that, do they? They speak, and it says in verse 20, they cannot help but speak. You want to avoid persecution, you want to avoid opposition, just keep quiet, but Peter and John don't do that, and it's funny, according to Acts, faithful first century Christianity is many things. It's community. It's sharing. It's it's being in each other's homes. It's the power of God. It's healing. It's crippled people dancing around. It's all of that and it's speaking. They're not in conflict. It's all of that. And here's the thing that as speaking Christianity happens, it gets opposed. Now, I don't know what your experience has been of this, of this, this uncomfortable sense, if you're a Christian here, of, of feeling slightly misunderstood because you're a Christian or because you wear that label, or, or feeling nudged out of a situation or just a little bit pitied, maybe. Um, most of us haven't been beheaded, um, it would look, um, for our faith. Um, and it's hard to talk about persecution in, the, in this country, really, because it, it's not really a thing. But I don't want to belittle the very real experiences that we'll have had where we felt on the fringes of things because we bear this name Jesus that's happened to me a little bit I guess it's happened to you a little bit if you're looking in on Christianity then I guess just it's important to know that that will happen to you a little bit if you if you follow this this God it's difficult I was in um, Nottingham a few weeks ago um, in this lovely um, edgy marquee with lots of fairy lights which was very good Um, and I was speaking there for the Christian Union uh, group in the university and I was speaking at a week of events exploring Christianity and we had loads of people come along and um, it was really fun and really great and they did a really good job and um, I'm really passionate about something when when I speak and you might not you might not see this but I'm trying to be passionate about this Um, when I speak I'm very passionate whether this is over the coffee table or with a music stand or whenever, I think it's really important that we remove every single needless offense when we're communicating uh, with anyone about anything, but particularly about Christianity. Every needless offense, we must work hard to get rid of. So body language, tone, um, vocabulary, we've got to be really on that. I think that's a way of loving people well, and I'm passionate about that. Um, but even with that in my mind and me trying to do that, do you know that every single night, two things happened. Every single night, I was speaking five evenings. Every single night, first of all, three people at least per evening became Christians and gave their lives to Jesus. And hearing the stories from the see, you get Facebook messages saying, my friend still is, booking sorting out his baptism and oh, and you're like, this is incredible. This is so cool. And do you know in the same tent, every single night, at least three people got up and walked out. And some people got up and walked out slightly, sort of, quietly, you know, maybe they just need the loo, that's fine. Um, But do you know that every night at least one person got up very loudly and, like, this sort of noise, like that, and moved their chair, scoff, walked out. And that's fine, and I'm sort of watching it, and it's this sort awkward thing as a speaker, do you refer to it, everyone's seeing it, do you stop and go... Bye. or yeah you know, what do, what do you do it's slightly awkward thing um but i was very very tempted then to just stop and that happened on the first night and i was very nervous and feeling a bit out of my comfort zone and that happened and you think gosh let's just let's just cancel this whole week it's very tempting to not speak do you know What that would have done was give me a really easy week. It would have given me a much more comfortable week. I would have fitted in on that university campus much more. But, you know, I wouldn't have had the privilege of seeing at least three people every evening say, I want to follow Jesus. And I'm in. And my eternity is being changed in this very moment, in this very tent, because of this gospel. And if I'd kept quiet, I would have had an easier week, but I wouldn't have had the joy of seeing that. And that's true for Peter and John. Look what happens when they speak. Verse four, I think it is. But many people who heard the message believed. So the number of men and women and children are also really important, believed and they grew to about 5,000 people. It's another glorious day where eternities are being absolutely transformed and communities and houses and families are being won to joy and life because they dared to speak. And if they'd kept their voice down, They would have had an easier time, but they wouldn't have had the joy of seeing lives transformed. And I want to say, I think, and I don't say this lightly, I think that's worth it to see that. Now, we're not all called to be Peters and Johns, and we're not all called to speak at Nottingham CU. I'm not sure I was called to speak at Nottingham CU, but there we are. But we all have the immense privilege, the invitation to, by the grace of God, open our mouths and see people take next steps towards Jesus. And it will be opposed in some contexts. But what a privilege. So that's top tip number one. Whatever you do, if you want to avoid persecution, please, for goodness sake, don't don't speak about Jesus. Top tip number two from this story, um, it's slightly different. It's not so much about speaking, but it's all about authority. I'll explain what I mean. It's all about who you let tell you what to do in life who you let be the loudest voice for you and top tip number two is this whatever you do let cultural voices i'll explain that in a sec be your real authority all right you want to avoid opposition you want to learn from peter and john's silly behavior let cultural voices be your real authority sure add a sprinkle of jesus add a little bit of christianity dabble in a bit of religion all good but when push comes to shove in your life and you have to choose who to listen to i'm not talking about being an obnoxious i i hate authority i'm not going to listen to anyone but when push comes to shove when you must choose between jesus and other people saying things to you please whatever you do if you want to avoid opposition go with the cultural voices Top tip number two. And that will work for you. I promise you that will work for you because of this. Persecution, our visitor uh, to the church, his agenda is always power. Okay? His agenda is always power. Persecution is always a power play. Let me explain to you what I mean. I think you see this around the world with um, regimes that want to quieten the church or abolish the church and that would be happening in lots of places around the world um, in our day and you see that what's going on there it's not just random what's going on there is we are in charge and this is a threat and so we'll quieten it or we'll say we'll legislate it so you can do it like this as long as we're in charge really see persecution is a power play it's the same in the playground of the emerge member who takes flack for his faith because he refuses to just go along with what everyone says is cool. Now, that's obviously smaller than like North Korean persecution, (laughs) but what's happening there is exactly, it's a power play. It's saying, listen, do what you want, but primarily listen to us. It's a power play. And you see it in the cultural pressure, I think, on the church to on ethical issues, pick, take your pick, to um, sort of just replicate what the society thinks at any given moment in time. And what that is, is we're fine with you being Christians as long as ultimately you listen to us, Uh, whoever that us is. (laughs) I think it's a power play. Listen to me. I'm in charge, not him. And Peter and John, bless them they get this so wrong oh look at them look in verse 7 they get asked this question of authority and power why by what power or what name do you do this who's really in charge of you guys okay and look what they say wallies haven't said wallies for a while um verse 10 it is by the name of jesus christ of nazareth whom you crucified but whom god raised from the dead You can't get a clearer flag in the ground. And I don't think they yelled that, but they're just quietly, they know who's in charge. They say, it's by the name of God. You thought you had power. You you crucified him, and God raised him from the dead. And he's our authority. When push comes to shove, we're going to listen to him because God raised him from the dead. You see it plain and clear in verse 19. Um, They get this, they sort of lay it out to them. They say, you know, leaders, whoever you are, Sadducees, whatever you are, which is right in God's eyes. To listen to you or to him, it's a power choice. It's an authority choice. And they're not, I want to be really clear, they're not going into court, kicking over the chairs, saying, we're anarchists. Whoa, rage against the machine. Like. Any any authority, you know, a government. Oh, it must be bad. Whoa. And I think actually there's a lot of that in our society today. And that's not Christianity. Christianity, the, the early Christians would have been the best citizens, the best workers, the best um, people in their society. They would have been the best neighbors. They would have not been rage against the machine, headbutting people going all the time. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But when push comes to shove, what's right to listen to you or to listen to God? and it gets them opposed because they choose God (laughs) bless them and this is the thing this is why they get opposed because when people with power and you might want to just bring into your mind a, a particular president that you see and it's not a cheap gag against him and I don't think we should do that But this is a genuine thing that's happening in in his life, I think, in President Trump's life. I think he's very powerful on one hand, but when people with power are confronted by people who have a different authority, they have no idea what to do, so they lash out. You see that with President Trump? So the media will say, actually, we don't think that's true, what you've said, and he lashes out because he has power and his power is being threatened. And when powerful people meet people who bow to a different authority, they don't know what to do. And it shows, I think, that they're not that powerful, actually. They're quite insecure. But when powerful people meet someone who dares to listen to a higher voice, they panic. (laughs) And so they lash out in the playground or in culture and I think they reveal they're not that powerful. Who's got the power in this passage? When I think about authority, when I think about strength and real power, who's got the power in the passage? Is it the panicking authorities going, shush, do oh, please stop talking. Uh, it's, it seems to be real. It seems to be really amazing, but it, uh, we've got to stop it spreading, so shush. That's one type of power. What about another type of power? We can't help but speak. You might, you might arrest us. We can't help but speak. That's real power, isn't it? You look at the Middle East. Um, Andy's at the back. Andy travels over to the Middle East and meets with lots of Christians um, who, are, who are more qualified to talk about persecution, shall we say. And Andy meets people, and it's, there's one form of power in the Middle East, isn't there, today, which is this. Um, I am gonna chop off your head unless you um, say you're not a Christian. Okay, that's one form of power, and that's quite powerful, isn't it? Listen to this from one of Andy's friends. I've lost my family, my home, but I have Jesus. Praise God. That's real power, isn't it, in the Middle East? What's real power in the playground? Listen to us, agree with us, or you won't be cool. That's quite powerful. What about this? I am freed from the need to be cool. I am secure. That's real power. But there's two tips for you. If you want to avoid opposition, please don't speak about Jesus. And please, when push comes to shove, just go with cultural voices. And I've got one last uh, big tip for you before we head to the secrets to the whole Christian life. And this little tip is the biggest tip, okay? This is the massive thing I want to say to you this morning. Whatever you do please, please, please don't associate with a crucified saviour if you want to avoid opposition. And Peter and John, bless them. They do. And there's no one verse here that points to that, but rather I think the whole story that we read out and really the whole story of Acts screams this point, that the church is very, very closely associated with a crucified saviour that they're united to him, that they belong to him. Now, why do I say that? Have you, have you recognized the church's story before? Have you seen this story before? Let me read a few things from this story. Acts chapter two, have you heard this before? They're about to start their ministry to the world. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down from heaven and brings them power. And then they go into the world to do their thing. Have you heard that type of thing before? That rings a bell, doesn't it? Happens to another guy in the Bible. Here they are bringing life to people, restoring people, bringing good news for all people. Have you heard that before anywhere? Here they are bringing people back to God and many people are flocking to them, believing. Have you seen that before in the Bible? And many people can't handle it And though they've done nothing wrong, they're brought to a trial in Jerusalem before the high priest. Does that remind you of anyone? And potentially on the very same blades of grass or bits of stone. (laughs) Here are Peter and John literally experiencing what Jesus experienced. Called to give an account to some little boys who think they rule the world when they have before them the servants of Yahweh. Does that remind you of anyone? You see, their story, the church's story, our story, is his story. And Jesus, the bridegroom, so closely has intertwined himself with his bride, the church, that like any marriage, he says, All that I have, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. He says, Everything I walk through, you'll walk through. Everything you walk through, I'll walk through. We're going to be together for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health. You can have all of me, he says with John Legend, and, and I'll have all of you. <laughs> and then the piano did play. <laughs> Jesus so associates himself with the church He so ties his fortunes to her fortunes and his future to her future and his inheritance to her inheritance and his resurrection to her resurrection that he also ties his suffering to her suffering. And that's why the church suffers because he suffers and we share in his suffering because we're his bride. They are persecuted and we will be persecuted. And Andy's friends in the Middle East are persecuted primarily because they belong to Jesus. And he was persecuted. It's why in Acts later on, to a terrorist who is ravaging the church and overseeing uh, religious executions, uh, Jesus says this, why are you persecuting me? he says. Not my church, not my boys, not Peter and John. Why are you persecuting me, he says, because he has so tied himself to his people that when they suffer, he is suffering. It's why just before his death, Jesus puts it like this. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you, as it is, you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also, because we're his bride. He suffers, we suffer, He rises in glory, we rise in glory. He has the Holy Spirit on him in power, we have the Holy Spirit on us in power. He sees healings, we see healings. He gets eternity inheriting the earth, we get eternity inheriting the earth. He suffers for a bit, we suffer for a bit. Now I just want to bring a couple of encouragements for those of us who are experiencing um, this um, shunning in big ways or small um, at the moment. And the, the first is this, the first encouragement is that when you're shunned for Jesus it isn't personal. Okay? And I've had this a little bit with friends and a little bit a little bit in my family. But it, I want to react like it's a personal assault on me. Oh! And actually it isn't personal. Um because I'm Jesus's um a little football analogy um this is me and some of my family at the Wolves. On this day, we were being promoted. Yay, the Wolves, that is, not my family. Uh, 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 th- we were being promoted. We, were having, we had flags. It was all very sunny in weather and mood. And uh, since then, we've been relegated, and we're almost being relegated this season. Um, so it's really sad. Please pray. <laughs> um, but um, there we are on a happier day. And what happens is we stand in the north bank at the Molyneux, and uh, what happens is, when the teams run out, the Wolves team goes to the South Bank end, and the away team comes to the North Bank end. And as the away team come out, whoever they are, and now at the level that Wolves play, I hardly even know the name of the team, let alone the players that are coming out. But as they run out, okay, what do we do in the North Bank? And I do it very Christianly. But what do we do? We boo! <coughs> boo we look! Oh, we rage against this team, okay? And I don't know who any of them are. I'm not making an assault on their person. I'm not, I don't dislike them. I'm sure they're lovely. If I met them, if they walked in today, I would shake their hand, welcome to church, brother. Great to see you. But when they come out wearing those colors and representing that badge, I Christianly (laughs) hate them. (laughs) Right? Now, it's not personal, but it's because of who they belong to and who they represent to me that I dislike them. They get lumped in with that Huddersfield town or whoever it is. And that's why they experience my scorn. Now, that's true when we suffer for Jesus. It isn't personal. People are not personally being horrible, even if it looks like it. They dislike Christians because they dislike Christ. What an honour to share in some of that with Jesus. So, it's not personal. Second comfort is, um, is, is, is this. I, I want to read a, a, a quote from a guy called Charles Spurgeon who's got a lovely beard and um, he's a lovely chap. Um, and I, I want to read this to you. Um, just sense some of the comfort that comes from, from this fact that we suffer because he suffers. Just listen to these words. This is the greatest comfort of all for in all your afflictions he is afflicted. You will find his presence in these trials to be very delightful. The heart of Jesus is very soft and warm for those who are rejected of all men for his sake. He has a marvelous way of unveiling his face to those whose faces are covered with shame because of their love to him. See what he's saying? He's saying you suffer for Jesus, Jesus is very with you in that. His heart is very for you that's your experience today he is with you he's suffering with you it's his suffering really and he will never leave you because you're his bride and he experiences with you in all your affliction of any sort actually he is afflicted with you so there you have it first century acts christianity speaks and because it speaks it suffers And because it bows to Jesus primarily, it suffers. And because it's tied to a crucified saviour, it suffers. And now I want to end with the secret to the whole Christian life. Ready? Sharpen your pencils. Because you might be thinking, I really don't have it in me to live like that. (laughs) You and me both, right? To have the courage to face that sort of stuff. Even in England, I don't have the courage to do that, let alone where Andy's headed. You might think, I don't have the power to be those powerful people. I don't have the strength to stand like this. I'm just gonna keep my head down. Of course I am. Of course we are. Just look at the uh, verse 13, and this is where we'll land. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were astonished and took note that these men had loads of strength in themselves. Let's pray. (laughs) It doesn't say that. That they were just ordinary people. They were ordinary people. Can you see that? And they've been with Jesus and they got courage and power. Now, we can't be with Jesus physically because he's in heaven. He isn't here physically, is he? Unless he, unless hello, no, he's not here physically, but by the Holy Spirit, who He's poured out, He is with us. And when you be with Jesus, you get courage. When you, when your heart gets full of Jesus, your 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 mouth speaks what your heart is full of. When you be with Jesus, you get words. When you be with Jesus, when you find him in community or remember him in communion or, or stand and sing with him, to him, with the people of God. When you read old books by beardy guys with cool quotes about Jesus. When you listen to Bethel on your headphones on the bus. When you be with Jesus by the Spirit, you get courage. That's all they did. They hung with Jesus, they got filled with the Spirit. And as Andy said a few weeks ago, there's a brand new Peter, because he's got courage. That's the secret to Acts Christianity. You don't go looking for suffering, you be with Jesus. And of course it will come, but you will have courage. That is why we do what we do on Sunday mornings. This is not a box-ticking exercise. It's not the glossiest, sort of most glorious looking thing you could come to in Birmingham today. But we'd be with Jesus here and that, that will transform us.